The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we are having a chat to Brendan Bradley, Managing Director of Perth-based DevEx Resources. Its stock code is DEV, or Delta Echo Victor, if you like. It's trading at 6.2 cents for a market cap of 7 million. Garen Perro covered DevEx in May when it was 5.3 cents stock, so it's nice to see it wriggling upwards. It's difficult to find a sub $10 million explorer on the ASX, let alone one like DevEx with a strong shareholder base and exposure to potentially high impact uranium exploration in the Northern Territory and copper gold exploration in New South Wales Lachlan Fold Belt. So there's plenty of leverage there to the upside from the group's spread of exploration activities. Welcome, Brendan, and thanks for joining us here at Stockhead today. Oh, thank you, Barry. Thanks for having me. Brendan, I've always thought investors can tell a lot about a company by knowing and understanding the people in charge. So can we start out today with you telling us a bit about your background in terms of your education and career before arriving at DevEx? Uh, Sure, Barry. Look, I'm a geologist by trade. I graduated from Queensland University of Technology back in the very early 90s uh, and immediately started cutting my teeth in Western Australia working on in the gold fields, uh, especially at uh, projects such as Hill 50 and and later in my career at at, uh, other underground mines such as at Daisy Milano in the Kalgoorlie region. Uh, my main experience has been working for mid-tier companies, generally uh, mid-tier mining companies such as um, as Prilia Limited and Dominion Mining Limited, who later became Kingsgate Consolidated. Uh, during that time, I've, I've been very much focused on Australian exploration for both gold and base metals, but have also been involved in other elements, including uranium mineralisation from, from a time. Uh, in recent years, uh, following my uh, work with uh, Dominion Mining, finally, before joining uh, DevEx Resources, I was uh, working as the exploration manager for Southeast Asia uh, for Kingsgate, looking after exploration in, uh, in Myanmar, Laos and uh, Cambodia and Thailand. Oh, it's, uh, in those latter years, uh, a lot of experience in uh, Thailand, obviously. Yeah, we had the we were operating the Chhatri gold mine up in Thailand for um, for quite some time. For my role, was looking after resource development and building the resources, uh, and then looking also for new opportunities in uh, the broader Southeast Asian region, similar sorts of deposits, but exploring uh, up in the northern Lao area and, and Myanmar, which is a lot of fun getting up in the new territory. But um, yeah, that that was uh, that was the opportunity at the time, and um, moved back to Australia in 2016, where uh, through um, knowing Tim Gordy, our chairman, uh, having discussions with Tim, Tim uh, and I decided that Uranium Equities looked like a good opportunity, and, and that's where I joined Uranium Equities, who then became DevEx Resources. Right. Uh, tell me a bit about. So were you at the bitter end at Chattery when the Thai government uh, shut things down? Uh, yeah, I was involved in the, the latter part of the um, of that the life of that operation, uh, very much sort of working with the uh, 
uh, at the mine looking after the communities, not just resource development, also community relations and working within uh, the regulatory regimes, just making sure that uh, the company was fulfilling their regulatory obligations and making sure that things were, were uh, progressing as they should under the conditions of the, of the licences. Mm. The whole saga must have been uh, uh, disappointing, frustrating, uh, given that I think the company won numerous awards for its uh, community engagement and other things up in Thailand. Uh, did you walk away uh, with a bit of taste in your mouth? Oh, certainly not towards uh, the people in the country. I think the opportunity was to grow resources and that was disappointing that the full potential of that deposit couldn't really be realised and uh, that's when you have quite an investment in people and, and time and also investment in a project and a project you're denied the ability to actually see it reach its full potential, that's where you get disappointed. Mm. Now, Brendan, I understand you're a geologist with a bit of a, a geophysical bent, is that correct? Oh, I'm a geologist first and foremost. Um, as, as mentioned, I graduated out of Queensland with a, a geological degree with honours and um, been very much focused on exploration. But geophysics is one of those tools that we all like to use and um, the geophysics assists us with that. So been very much involved with geophysics from, I think, the get-go when I was a young geo once upon a time. It seems to be coming into its own in recent years as explorers look undercover and uh, for new areas. Do you see geophysics being part of the solution to your hunt for uranium in the Northern Territory and copper gold in New South Wales? Uh, geophysics has a strong role to play uh, for exploration in both of those regions you mentioned and, and likewise in the greater Australian scene, you know, the new technology has been advanced with geophysics quite far over the last 10 years and, and its application in Australia is, is a standout region of the world where people are being able to apply it quite successfully, uh, bringing in both that and new science technology and other areas uh, to, to lead towards discoveries. Where, where it's been applied most interestingly in, for, for me in, in the Northern Territory is, is that uh, geophysics such as what we've been using, which is the IP, has not traditionally been a, a technique that's been applied in that region. But when looking at the rocks that host Narbuk deposit, which is the, the one of the main deposits up in the Northern Territory, we see that it does have an application and it's been great to sort of finally apply an, an, an old technology but to a new piece of ground. So we, we, um, we've been doing some work with that and coming up with some interesting targets. Hmm. Now, just touching on the uranium exploration in the Northern Territory, it's all described, you call it your West Arnhem uh, project. So is it part of Arnhem land, as people would know, the Aboriginal uh, enclave there? Yeah, it's part of uh, West, it's called West Arnhem Land, uh, and it's uh, located north of uh, Jabiru, uh in the area around north and north towards the northeast of the Owenpali or Gumbulyunga region. Uh, it's located outside the, uh, the Kakadu National Park, naturally, and that's why we're up there exploring. Uh, but yeah, we, we always call it, uh, you could loosely call it Arnhem Land, but West Arnhem is what we usually call it. Right. And recently you... Uh told investors that Narbalek uh, drilling program was uh, close at hand? Yeah, we're looking to commence drilling in mid-June. Uh, drill rig's been organised and it's finishing its program where it is at the moment and we think it's we expect it to be arriving late next week, if not the week after. Right. Now, I think most people would know that Narbalek was 
one of the uh, one of three mines that were originally allowed under ALP policy back in the 90s. It was a small, high-grade ore body, very high-grade ore body, but was mined out in, I think, in the space of four months. Uh, what are you looking for there? Oh, we're looking for another Narblek, naturally, and, and if not bigger. Um, yeah, Narblek's a spectacular grade, uranium grade at Narblek was spectacular. And like you mentioned, uh, they mined it out in four months. It was very well-contained uh, zone of mineralisation, especially in the northern part of the pit. And they brought it to surface. They, it's a unique way of mining. They, they mined it out, brought it up to surface, and then proceeded to process it for another eight years uh, and eventually... Um, remediating the pit by bringing everything back into the pit. So uh, the, the contained um, mineral endowment within Narblek is, is really what we're chasing. We're looking for extensions to and, and repetitions of that Narblek mineralisation at depth. Right. And you've renamed the effort there for the new Narblek, as it were, U40. Is that correct? Uh, U40 is a another prospect. So Narblek is uh, the prospect that's centred on the actual pit and below the pit. And then further towards the east, there's a similar structure about 10 kilometres. And along that structure is a prospect called U40, where previous drilling by uh, our predecessor and joint venture, Cameco, had intersected some very high-grade uranium at U40 and drilled around and defined an isolated pod of high-grade uranium with copper, gold and platinum plating minerals right sorry for that mistake there but u40 that's the one that you've compared um to coronation hill which is i think probably 200 kilometers away is that correct yeah we were very much interested in u40 um originally drawn because of the high grade uranium there was an intercept of around six meters at seven percent uranium within that zone looking through the draw core um Naturally, we'd noticed that there's chalcopyrite also in there and also in the intercepts. So we, we were able to observe that, okay, besides the uranium, there's also 12 metres at 2% copper. There's also individual smaller 3 to 4 metre wide zones of gold mineralisation with platinum and palladium. So that polymetallic association of uranium, gold, platinum, palladium and also copper started to say, well, what other sorts of systems are in the area? And our attention was immediately drawn to Coronation Hill, which in the literature is recorded as being a gold, platinum, palladium with some uranium mineralisation. And as we delve deeper into it, the, the relationship is, is very close. And that's what drew our attention there. Mm. What's the background to Cameco being uh, the Canadian organisation, probably the biggest uh, uranium group in the world? Why would they have uh, let this project go, as it were? I, Cameco, um, have been exploring in the uh, Northern Territory in, in the Alligator Rivers field, which is West Arnhem is part of, for quite some time, for well over 10 years. But with the depression in the uranium price, and you probably have to ask Cameco for the accuracy, is that there was a, there was a corporate decision to withdraw from the Northern Territory and also from Australia generally, with the exception of one of their more advanced projects. And so it's really been a... I suppose that, that their decision was to return back to the, some of their main bases of operation and, and pull out of Australia. So that's what they've done. Mm. Have they kept uh, their foot on it uh, through, or was it, was it a complete sale to you guys? Uh, in terms of ourselves, we actually had, were earning in 
to that project and we've earned 100% from Cameco over a period of time but Cameco also were re- regionally active and then they sold out so they they put their um, projects up for sale and and, uh, and they were they were bought by another company. Mm. Now as I mentioned I U40 is probably 200 k's from Coronation Hill, but what are the similarities, uh, you know, geologically that give rise to this suggestion that uh, it could there could be a lookalike? Oh, so there's a couple of reasons behind it. One is that um, besides the the metal association, which is which is clear, you know, platinum, palladium, gold, and uranium mineralisation occurring in both areas, they're both uh, hosted within fault zones, uh, of course. Um, when you look at Coronation Hill, there's quite an extensive amount of drilling that took place um, for its day and had defined uh, high-grade gold, platinum, palladium and also uranium mineralisation down to depths of 470 metres located inside of essentially fault zones, uh, repetitive and multiple loads. Um, the similarities we, we also take from that was is that there's been recent literature which is looking at the age of that mineralisation and identifying that the age of that mineralisation is the same age as what we see up at Narbalek. And so they, they've grouped all of these styles of deposits, including Coronation Hill, as part of a similar family of mineralisation styles. That drew our attention mainly because the U40 mineralisation that we see, the drilling into that mineralisation U40 has defined an isolated pot of mineralisation. There was high grade, they drilled it directly underneath it, weren't successful. But when you're looking at a fault zone, what we're interpreting that to be is, is that as with fault zones, you get mineralisation and then it cuts out and then it reforms somewhere else within that general structure. And so what we look at from that point of view is that we're quite encouraged when doing that comparison with uh, Coronation Hill that you can see such depth extent to mineralisation at Coronation Hill stepping out in scale at U40. We see that isolated pot of mineralisation potentially being one of several zones of mineralisation within that fault zone. And so that's what we're most interested in. Mm. Now, most Australians would know that uranium equals politics in this country and Coronation Hill, of course, was uh, included inside Kakadu back in 1991 by uh, the great and late Bob Hawke. But I notice here that uh, the NT government has uh, is co-funding some of your exploration work. Does that tell us something about the attitude of the NT towards uranium exploration and perhaps development in the future? Uh, it's hard for me to say what the... Uh what the attitude is towards uranium by the NT government other than they're already producing uranium within the NT. And, you know, there have been great projects such as uh, ERA's project at Ranger that's been long-serving. It's reaching the end of its life and and everyone recognises that. But uranium has had a role to play in the NT for a very long time um, with the benefits also passing on to the community, including, you know, projects like NARBLEC as well. Mm. So... You know, there's always a subject that um, gets people interested and always sees different spectrums of, of the community having different views on it. But, um, you know, it's, it's also that um, it, it has a long history in the NT and we, we're quite comfortable with it in our region. Mm. Generally speaking, the anti-nuclear movement is not like it was in the 80s and 90s uh, and that's probably got a lot to do with it, uh, nuclear power being possibly part of the long-term solution to concerns around global warming, carbon emissions, et cetera. I'm just wondering, um, when you go to a barbecue now and you say that you're looking for uranium, do 
Do people turn their back and walk away or are they actually engaged on the subject now as uranium status as uh, you know, a pen- potential weapon against uh, carbon emissions uh, takes hold? Yeah, I think, I think it's an interesting subject at a barbecue, to be honest. I do get asked about it quite a lot. And coming up, this, up the learning curve myself, it's, um, everyone recognises that and the, the hottest subject at the moment is always about you know, clean energy and where and how clean energy can be sourced. And when when you discuss uranium with people, I think there's a general acceptance that uranium actually offers a clean energy product. Um, everyone remembers back to, to the natural incidents that's caused people to be that way towards uranium. But, you know, in the end, uranium has a role to play with clean energy. And uh, when when... And if people are wanting to move away from the other fossil fuels towards clean energy, your options are there for how do you, how do you actually go about sourcing that clean energy? If people are very much interested in you know, the new battery technology and looking at the batteries, well, there needs to be a way to fill those batteries and, and then the power that actually fills those batteries, where is it sourced from? It's sourced from hydro, it's sourced from solar, it's sourced from wind. Well, uranium is also a clean energy source and is already providing towards that market. What role uranium actually has in the clean energy market in the future, it, a lot of people still believe strongly that it has that role. So you know, when you actually discuss with people at a barbecue about all that, I think the question really is, is that is an, are aspects such as solar and wind able to actually satisfy the clean energy market for what it can produce? Or does uranium still have a strong role to play? And I think everyone accepts it does. Mm. The uranium price has been a bit of a disappointment this year. It started to firm up last year on the very for the very reasons you've just discussed there. What's your view on where uranium prices are going in the near term? That's the big million-dollar question, isn't it? I think it's there's a very strong sentimental... There's a change in sentiment overall through the industry towards uranium. Everyone recognises that its price looks unrealistic and it's, it's a question of from the people I talk to at least it's not a question of if it's going to go up it's a matter of when and I haven't found anybody that can give an accurate answer to that other than to point out that that uranium when it does start to really lift it can it can lift very quickly and very rapidly as, as it's seen in the past I think looking at how the new reactors in China and also elsewhere in Europe and Japan as well are coming online um, it's a matter of at what stage those utilities start to recognise that their long-term view on uranium needs to start to sort of shore up the supply towards that uranium. So whether it's next month or next year, that's a, that's, that's a question I couldn't answer. Mm. Now, one of the beauties about uh, Cryonation Hill, even though it wasn't developed, of course, was that it had that magic mix of gold, platinum, uranium. Will the uranium price be critical to any of the uh, discoveries you could make in the, your forward exploration program? I think uranium price has always driven the interest in, in the Northern Territory project. The, the thing to be mindful of, of course, when looking at projects like Coronation Hill and other similar styles of deposits is, is that they also carry significant grade in also gold and platinum palladium minerals as well as the potential for copper as well. So being a polymetallic deposit, everything adds to supporting 
the opportunity should we drill holes in here and encounter these styles of mineralisation at depth. So um, being driven just by uranium, well, we are in a high-grade uranium field and people like that, but we're also um, also chasing that gold, PGE, uh, and also copper mineralisation. Everything supports each other. Mm. We might move on now, I think, to uh, New South Wales, the Lachlan Fold Belt, uh, copper gold, big targets potentially. What can you tell me about what's happening there? I uh, sure. And um, we are currently operating in the Macquarie Arc down south of the uh, the large deposits such as Cadia and North Parks. Uh, the, the the region down in the Macquarie Arc is a well known province in Australia for hosting large scale porphyry copper deposits. Where we are located down on the Juni project, and also we've got a project to the southeast called Bogon, uh, is that we pegged this ground in 2017 uh, on the basis of new information that was coming out from the geological survey that was actually identifying these rocks as being prospective for porphyry copper deposits. And knowing that, we went down and pegged that ground and we've been very much active on getting through and exploring that that um, that tenure over the last uh, two years. So you're at the stage of defining drill targets? Uh, yeah, we have started to apply both geophysics and also the results of our mapping and we're starting to see some interesting targets that are coming out which we would regard as dual targets. What we're, uh, what we're about at the moment is, is assessing the full licence. Uh, we've identified some targets but we're also looking at where additional targets could be so that we can put them in uh, through and through a ranking scheme. Drilling for porphyries can be an expensive game. I was just wondering whether you intend progressing... Uh, the New South Wales projects yourself to uh, capture some of that value before perhaps looking for a joint venture partner to come in and fund the programs? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of major companies exploring um, in the region towards the north of us along that strike. There's a lot of the, the large companies have been active in that region and, and also have shown interest in overall the projects down around Juneau through because of the new results from the geological survey. Uh, the decision on whether we take this ourselves and the decision on whether we seek a, seek funding through a joint venture partner is always something to be considered. Right now, we're really putting our boots on the ground. We've got our geologists in the field looking at the rocks and assessing you know, the opportunity uh, for drilling these targets ourselves if the and and looking at how they and what the i suppose what the the risk and opportunity is for doing that sort of work if the project mm. is is large in scale and supports required then we're open-minded to that as well right. so it's an interesting story uh having the uranium and the copper gold i was just wondering if you could tell investors who always love to uh, see a good, strong news flow, what points they should be looking out for in the months ahead? Well, we've got drill rig due to start uh, in mid-June and we're drilling our targets in the Northern Territory, both at U40 and also at Narblick. Uh, we, we're keen to see that drilling that drilling take place and we're keen to test those targets. So I think watch watch what we're doing with, with regards to the Northern Territory project. In the meantime, we continue to advance uh, the Juni and Bogon project and we plan to have geologists in the field uh, in later June and also delivering some results there if we if we encounter those results. So we'll continue to focus on both the New South Wales and Northern Territory projects. Right. Exciting stuff. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Much appreciated and good luck with it all. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for your time. <laughs>